You're listening to Deep Cuts with Antoine Reed, episode 42, Tim Swell, Boveda. Antoine, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Good to see you. Good to see you. It's been a while. I think it's uh, <clears throat> Pro Cigar. <laughs> been a little while, yes. Right under the radar with the coronavirus. <laughs> Bare- barely got that one in, right? Yep. Have you been? Uh, really good. Been very busy. Just uh, keeping uh, keeping my head down, working hard, and trying to trying to keep up with uh with some great growth so how's the family family is good i um <clears throat> got two of my kids off to college within the last uh, few weeks and um my uh oldest uh, son and his wife are expecting their second child in february so i'm going to be a grandfather uh grandfather number 2 in in wow. february so and <laughs> Some Monday, box. yeah, it's pretty cool. Monday they're gonna do the uh, reveal, reveal party or whatever to find out, find out what it is. As long as they don't start any fires, like the the last reveal party in California. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no fireworks, no nothing, no, nothing crazy like that. <laughs> oh well, like I said, thank you for coming on today. I, I had my list of this is as I tell people, kind of part two of season one, uh, just year one of doing this. So. I knew I wanted Boveda on um, at some point because we do so much together with the magazines and the trade show. Yeah. So I know people probably get tired of hearing your story, but I always think it's a cool story to tell just because you tell it so well, especially mm. when you, you're the one telling it. I remember cool. when I first heard the story, uh, we were at Specom still, and it was Ben who had just met you. must have been at IPSPR, one of his first IPSPRs. And I remember he came back and he was so excited to tell the Bova the story. And I was like, yeah, I was like, that's a, you know, that's a, especially the, the different hurdles you have to jump through just to get Bova up and going. Um, I just thought it would be a great story, especially nowadays with so many people uh, having to reevaluate what they're doing um, business-wise and professionally to hear your story, um, I think would be inspiring um, and hopefully will get them to jump into whatever they may be hesitating to do or feel like they can't do and accomplish and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So, well, you tell me, where do you want me to, where do you want me to begin? Well, I always like to establish where you came from before you jumped into the whole Boveda thing. So give us a little background of, you know, what was your background like before Boveda? Cause everybody knows you now as the Boveda guy you and Sean. So what was life like before Boveda? Well, that's a good question. So when I had uh, graduated from college in uh, 1989 from a small school here in Minnesota called Bethel College, now called Bethel University, uh, ultimately that's where Sean and I had met. So uh, that's where we started our relationship. I had done an intern, uh, sales intern with a company called Skyline Displays, and uh, they were the 
world's leading manufacturer of portable displays for trade shows and exhibits. So when we do all those trade shows, a lot of the exhibits within the hall are, are typically manufactured by Skyline Displays, who happens to be based in Minnesota. So when I was, uh, as I said, during my senior year, I did a little sales intern with them in the spring. And then uh, when I graduated in uh, late May, uh, went on to <clears throat> become one of their sales reps in a uh, straight commission sales job. And uh, that kind of started off my, my career. And I was with them until um, the day that I left to uh, be full-time within, you know, at the time our company was called Humidipac. So <clears throat> it was about a nine, nine and a half year journey with, uh, with Skyline uh, in sales for them. And, and, uh, Similar to Sean, Sean had a sales background and, and since being friends in, in um, college, uh, Sean and I had done a, a couple side businesses together uh, prior to uh, really form, forming uh, Bovida as we know it today. And um, so we had a little bit of a history with each other of, of doing a, a little bit of side business work. And, and um, what ultimately got us to the, the formation of, of Humidipac at the time, really there's another name, SAGE, but uh, it was acronyms for smoke them if you got them. And that was the, uh, the original founder's uh, company name because he was making humidors. So um, to give you the background, how we got here, I was listening to a radio show and it was about this time of year in 1996. And uh, this one particular uh, radio show was interviewing an individual that was talking about humidors and how he was making these uh, humidors out of exotic woods. And they were these small little portable humidors. And uh, he had designed them in such a way that they were indestructible. You know, you could run a car over them and they were wood. And uh, so he had a really cool story. And I didn't catch his name or his company name during the, uh, during the radio show because I was driving. And uh, so I called the radio station and I said, hey, you interviewed this guy. What's his name? Can I get his number? They said, absolutely. He gave it to me. And so I called him. His name was David Bergstedt. And he uh, was a humidor maker, had this small little woodworking shop in a, in a kind of an outside town of the Minneapolis area and uh, had a really good conversation with him and said, hey, I'm interested in, in buying one of your humidors. And he said, well, why don't you come out and see my woodworking shop. I'll show you what I do. Very personal guy. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. So I called Sean and um, who is the CEO and business partner of, of Bovida and uh, said, hey, let's uh, let's go out and see this guy. So Sean and I, uh, after college, we would get together and smoke cigars. And a group of guys, a group of us would get together and smoke cigars. So as you know, during the 90s, it was kind of a cool thing to do, certainly in the mid to you know, uh, right around that 94, 95, 96 time frame uh, before the crash really kind of happened in 98. So uh, 96 was at a really good height of, of the busyness and the, and the boon of it. So um, we were smoked cigars, got together. And, and uh, so we went out to see David and uh, we ended up buying a couple of his humidors and actually then commissioned him to make us these end table humidors, kind of like a vigilant, you know, that's what you would see in the ads back then. Are you, Antoine, are you familiar with uh, vigilant? No. 
Okay, well, if you look them up, they're still around and they still make uh, humidors, but they make these very expensive cabinet style humidors. And we said, we want you to make us one of these. So Sean did his out of uh, dark walnut, black walnut. And then I did mine out of cherry, but they were in tables with, you know, drawers and doors on them. And, and uh, so the, during the course of time, while David was making these humidors for us, we, we ended up becoming friends with him. And uh, one night, Sean was having a, a dinner party and, and uh, where we were going to eat steaks, smoke cigars and drink some uh, whiskey and bourbon after dinner. And um, we invited uh, Sean and invited David. And uh, that particular night, David came over. Now, this is all the way into the spring of 97. So we meet him in, in uh, uh, August of 96, making these humidors. Took him several months. And this is in uh, early spring of uh, 97. Comes over for dinner. And, and uh, we're with like six, seven other guys. And he comes in with this little prototype thing. And he says, hey, watch this. Um, I'm going to put this in this bag. And with a hygrometer, and at the end of the night, it's going to read 75%. And we were like, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, that's cool, whatever, you know. And uh, so he puts it in, he puts this little uh, kind of a packet form um, piece into this bag with a hygrometer. I think it started in the mid-50s. And by the end of dinner and the end of the night, we went to go look at the bag, and it was at 75%. I mean, it was dead on. And Sean and I were like, holy cow, what, you know, what do we got going on here? And he kind of explained to us uh, some, a little bit of his vision, what he wanted to try and do. Um, and he, in parallel to that, back in probably late 95 or 96, had um, started to work with Dr. Al and Bob Essie, who are two of the founding partners as well. They were really the, the co-inventors of the technology, the brains behind the technology as, as we know it as Bulbata today. And uh, so they had been working, and David and Sean and I have been kind of working together. And, and then right after that, uh, that particular evening, even, David said, hey, he goes, um, I don't really know how to run a business. I really don't have any money. And uh, do you guys want to be my business partners? <laughs> and uh, Sean and I were like, well, sure. Yeah, let's let's talk about this. This, this looks like a pretty cool opportunity. And prior to that, we might have had some discussions about, opportunities of how this technology could work, uh, not only in the tobacco market, but also within food. Uh, two of the co-inventors, Dr. Allen and Bob Essie, are, uh, one was a food scientist, the other was a food packaging engineer from General Mills. So as we looked at the overall market, we realized, okay, this is, this is really a lot bigger than just cigars. Uh, although cigars was our entree into getting a product into market because it was uh, such an explicit need and such a demanding market that we figured, hey, we could get a product out here, fuel some cash flows that'll help us develop the company and, and then go into other markets. And um, so it's really kind of how it happened in, like I said, late in that, in early spring of 97 by July, I think fifth or sixth, somewhere in there, we had formed, we had written all of our bylaws, put our business contracts together and we incorporated under, uh, well, at that time, Sage Humidic Control. So that was one name. We made up the word humidic and control because we knew control, control humidity versus other things. And then shortly thereafter, we went to Humidipack. And it wasn't until about 2012-ish or so that we went full on to Bovida as a corporate and product name. So 
that was kind of how the, uh, the, the, you know, it happened. It was, you know, I was in the right place at the right time, made a great phone call to, to meet somebody. And Sean and I went over and became friends with them and, and uh, just had an opportunity to, uh, you know, see something that was really special and uh, jumped on the opportunity and, uh, you know, put a lot of, a lot of faith and risk into what we thought was going to be where we are today. And what it sounds like is early on, you treated it like a business. So you, you talked about bylaws and stuff that people don't really think about um, when they're starting a business. You just, a lot of people just like to jump right into it, get the product out there. And then these other things kind of come in later. So do you think that was kind of part of the success that you saw it as a, a viable business and you needed to get all of that stuff done and figured out before you got too far into the business? Because you could have either done it either way, but it seems like early on, that was like important to get that established and worked on. Yeah, it was. I think when you have uh, six individuals that are all coming together, uh, families, uh, technology, you know, patents were going to be applied for, if not already applied for, you know, fuzzy on the exact dates, but, you know, we knew we had a patentable technology and, uh, you know, two very accomplished individuals from General Mills that were retired. They were already in their 60s. They had recently retired from General Mills and they were doing consulting on their own. So they were established business guys. Sean and I had, um, you know, a good 10 years, eight to 10 years of business experience that uh, led us to believe that this is the right thing to do. And, and then um, David and uh, one other individual that owned the woodworking shop that David uh, was in, so that was the the group of us that came together. But yeah, it, it was, and and um, it, it it turned out to be you don't need contracts until you until you need them. <laughs> and uh, you know, shortly thereafter, within about a year, year and a half, we had bought out David, the original founder, and um, uh, you know he wasn't great for the business, and we recognized that and said, hey, I think it's time for us to buy you out, and we move on. And and at that time too, you know, when you're when you're looking at this, we we put the, the uh, patents into the company name versus the individuals. That was part of the agreement to, so that Bovida, the, you know, the company in itself had the asset and the strength and uh, weren't worried about licensing agreements. It was owned. And, um, you know, we, we uh, had to come in with some money. You know, we, we anted up uh, mainly Sean and I with money to, to fund it. Uh, Sean quit his job immediately uh, I didn't quit mine until months later, just due to the fact that I had uh, I had two kids, right. and um, you know was trying to wean off my ten-year career and get into this. But uh, you know, one of the uh, one of the more fun stories about the, the this whole piece was as I was talking about, we you know, we did our bylaws, got our business contract together. That was in July. Uh, late July is the I well back then called the RTDA. And we knew by doing our very, you know, short period of time of uh, uh, research into the industry from spring until July, that the RTDA show was the show you have to be at. Right. And uh, so this, this is kind of one of our fun stories and how we just crammed and make this stuff happen. But we, um, we called every exhibitor at that show. We wanted to get a booth called the RTDA, no booths available. I mean, you're in the boon of the industry. I mean, everybody wants to be there. Uh, it's gonna be, it was being held in Orlando at the uh, Marriott. We called every exhibitor. Can we have two feet of your space? Can we share the booth? We'll pay for it. Let us get in there. Can we get tickets to get in? 
no, 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 no to every, everything. And we were like, oh my gosh, you know, we have to be at this show in order to launch this product, which uh, the product was called um, the Humi Bag or yeah, Humidipack. And then there, then went to the Humi Bag and then to the Humidor Bag. So as you know, our product today, the Humidor Bag, that was our very first product that we had. And our slogan behind that was uh, for the retailers, because they were all giving away uh, Ziploc baggies anyway, we said, you know, turn, turn this into a profit center. No longer do you have to give away Ziploc baggies. You can now give away a 90-day humidor bag and sell it for $4 or five, six, seven. I think it was seven was the original, and it, and it would last for 90 days. So that's what we went uh, to, to go to launch. So back to the story, we couldn't get anything, uh, couldn't get any exhibitors. So we said, well, fine, we're going to show up anyway. So then we called the hotel, no rooms, called hotels around it, no rooms available. You know, this is over, a hot, you know, summer, uh, you know, in, in Orlando. So all the rooms were booked, no room at the uh, hotel. So uh, we had this idea, let's rent an RV. When we, when we fly into Orlando, let's rent an RV and we'll sleep in that. And we'll park it in the parking lot of the hotel. And we made, we made up all these banners that, you know, on the side said sage, uh, humidic control. And uh, so we went out and then we stuck those on the sides, you know, with the grommets and hooked them up somehow to the side of the uh, thing. And we made that our meeting room. So we were inviting people into the, uh, into the RV and we were smoking cigars for, you know, the four days, however long we were there, four or five days. I'm sure we've returned that thing and I'm sure they're like, what just, who, <laughs> who wrecked this? Cause we were smoking like a chimneys in there. So um, what we would do is at the show, we couldn't get in. We tried to get in. In fact, we snuck in one time and got kicked out. Uh, security uh, escorted us out. We, um, we would go to all the, you know, a couple different entrances and Sean and I had backpacks on and David and we, we'd put the samples in, in there and we would, you know, pull these out and say, Hey, are you buying or selling at this show? And uh, anybody that said I'm buying, we're like, hey, have you ever heard of Humidipack? And uh, they'd be like, no. Well, this is the greatest product ever. You got to try this thing. And we took orders. So we took about 65 orders just out in the hallways, in the bars, restaurants. We'd you know, go off of, the, off of the strip or you know wherever it was and go to a restaurant. We'd run in and see people with badges on. We'd start talking to them. And hang out at the hotel bar at night and try and meet as many people as we could. And uh, so we opened up about 65 accounts, I believe. And we were, you know, we thought we were pretty cool. You know, wow, we got something here. Let's, you know, and now we have to go back and make it. That was, you know, a whole nother side of the story. But um, it, was a, it was a really fun event uh, and an experience for us. Uh, it seemed, you know, to be successful, we, we really went guerrilla marketing in there, and and uh, but you you wouldn't believe how many times we got kicked out of out of the entrances. And Bill Fader was the president at that time, and he owned some I think tinder boxes maybe in Maryland back then, and that that guy was fall, trying to find us everywhere. So Sean and I go back, we put a hat on, we go change our shirt, go to the other side, and uh, did that for as many days as as possible, but. So that kind of launched launched us into the uh, into the cigar market right there. Yeah, and you said like you said you were saying, you know, you got into the cigar market first because I guess that was the biggest opportunity to get in there. But at the beginning, did you know 
like the different industries Boveda could impact and you just chose cigars because you saw that that might be the easiest way to kind of build up an audience and then you would expand from there? Yeah, uh, exactly right. So through our, uh, you know, having our meetings through that uh, spring of, <clears throat> of 97 with our other partners, you know, since they were, one was a food scientist and a packaging engineer, we started to look at all the other moisture sensitive products that were out there. In fact, our original patent even has musical instruments written into it. So uh, Dr. Al, who was a lover of the orchestra and music, he, you know, we had recognized that uh, wooden stringed instruments are very moisture uh, sensitive. <clears throat> so any changes in the wood dynamics, because you have a neck and then you have a body, which are going in two different directions. So any moisture change tweaks those. And then obviously then you're out of tune and, and it can be very damaging to very expensive items, whether it be a very high end acoustic guitar or a violin. And um, so we, we recognize that was an op opportunity. We, we looked at food. We looked at pharmaceuticals, uh, obviously premium cigars, and just, you know, uh, very other small ancillary ones that, that could be of a, an opportunity. So Ben wants to know, what's your biggest market right now? Is it still cigars or is it something else? It, well, um, so the, the fastest and the, uh, the biggest emerging market for us is, is cannabis uh, globally. Um, we never started our company to, to go after that market. Uh, we did enter it into 2007 through a distributor into the medical California medical market into dispensaries. Uh, but uh, cigars still is our biggest portion of our, of our business. Uh, when you add up all of our, our, you know, what we do with cigar makers, uh, cigar retailers, cigar consumers. Uh, however, the, fastest growing market for us is the is the cannabis sector but the cannabis stuff i'm curious because i know like in the media side i mean we see that cannabis and hemp and all that kind of stuff is growing and becoming more popular but to do coverage of that in like a tobacco setting is hard because your cigar retailers and tobacco retailers and growers uh, they're very protective of their uh, different platforms and companies. So did you encounter any resistance from cigar people once, you, once they started seeing you getting into cannabis? Did they not care? Because I know, like I said, we encountered some of that on the media side where they like, you know, you're supposed to be for us. You know, we don't want you working for, for these people or promoting these people. These are a completely different audience. So what was your experience like? You know, I think everybody was fairly uh, good about it. Sure, there was a few people, but <clears throat> it wasn't really <clears throat> what they were experiencing, though, is that people from the cannabis side were coming into their store to buy Bovida because oh. they had heard that that was, you know, the best way to store your cannabis. Now, the, the cigar relative humidities are, are too high for cannabis. So we have a 58 and a 62 for uh, the ideal range for cannabis. And uh, obviously cigars, you know, we go from 65, 69, 72, 75, depending on where you live and how good your or bad your humidor is. So you can try and get into that 69 to 70% range. Uh, but what we, uh, what we were finding is, is um, the cigar retailers were calling us saying, hey, I got a lot of people coming in from, you know, alternative markets looking for your product. 
And eventually when we did have the different relative humidities, some of them embraced it and said, well, they're coming in anyway, I'm gonna, I should sell them that. But we did have some that said, I don't want them in my store. And, you know, because the industry still has that stigmatism of, of stoners and, and um, you know, Spicoli's coming in where now is it's becoming a, a viable medical product, medicinal use, you're getting, you know, more professionals in or at least more professionals that are admitting that they're, they're into that, um, into that way of life or even the, you know, for, for medicine purposes. So, um, but overall, we were pretty good. Now, as a company, we looked at it and said, okay, if we were going to try and get into a food market and work with a big food company, yet we have this product over here in cannabis, would that hurt our ability to work with a mainstream food company versus, you know, uh, it was one of the things that we had to really think about. Do we just come out with a separate product, not even named Bolvida or Humidipac at that time? and market it to that to that market um ultimately you know what we did we we bundled it all under the same brand name and uh just trying to be the global leader and category king and in in every category whether it be um, cigars or or cannabis and i know ben has another question which is you know how does bovida kind of help the cannabis and hemp growers i guess because we know how it you know, if you're a cigar smoker, you kind of know at this point you need Bovida and uh, <laughs> for your products to keep them fresh from, you know, from the factory down to the, to the when they're in the retail store. So um, do cannabis and hemp people use your products in the same way? Is it a certain stage in the process that they use it more? Yeah, that, that is a uh, great question. So we really are from in cannabis cure to consumption. What cure means is after it's harvested, they cure it to dry it out. Very similar to, you know, the way that you, you know, work with tobacco as you're trying to get the impurities out of it before you use it. Uh, what's really unique about our application in our, in our need in the cannabis is that, uh, sure, there, there's a couple of things. Um, that are most people would look at. Cannabis is sold by weight. So if you have very dry cannabis and you've dried it all out, yet you're supposed to be at 62% and you're selling it at 40%, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. That's one aspect. That's just that. But the, really the key is, is the, qual the quality and the terpene loss. So what we do is we prevent the loss of terpenes. Terpenes are kind of what hold all the goodies in into the trichome head of a of a cannabis flower. In that trichome head are you know CBDs and, and THCs and terpenes, and, and those typically will evaporate out. So what we do is is we have the original terpene shield for cannabis. What we in essence do is we put a mono layer of water around the cannabis flower, and we lock all that in so that it doesn't evaporate out into the air. And terpenes are just really the smell of it. So if you've ever smelled weed, it smells like skunk. Well, that's the terpenes evaporating out into the air. That's why you get a big nose hit off of it. But that's in reality, that is bad because that means it's all evaporated. So if you parlay what we do into tobaccos, uh, into cigar, what we did is, uh, you know, back in our slogan was that uh, Bovida or Humidipac at the time, we prevent the uh, the loss of the natural oils 
sugars and flavor of the cigars. Because what would happen, the same thing with cigars, is they would leave the factory in prime, pristine condition. Then they either go into a, a truck, a boat, a plane, and then they get to the US, and then they go in a UPS truck. So what happens is they are subject, uh, after they leave that factory dock, they are subject to the ambient environment other than what your box is in, a, in, a, in an overwrap. Without Bovida, they are experiencing these highs and lows of temperature, but also in humidity. So every time that cigar dries out, it's lost that, uh, those natural oils and flavor and sugars, they've evaporated. Then it goes back up into humidity and it does that and it just keeps cycling. So what Bovida does is we, we just eliminate that. We flatline that and we lock all that in. So if we have the proper moisture within that cigar as it goes through shipping distribution in, in the sales channels, then it's, you're getting uh, almost what the factory had intended it to be. And if the story goes way back when, when we started working with, with uh, Carlito, uh, Carlos Fuente Jr. in the very beginning, he said um, a couple of things. One is he said, I'm, I'm, because it's so rainy in the Dominican Republic in such high humidity, his cigars, since they were so oily and, and they would absorb the moisture. So he wanted to eliminate that issue. But he also said, if, if you can truly do what you guys say you can do, you will change this industry. And he goes, and everybody will need to package with you because of what you're gonna, what you're gonna do for them. And his experience was he stored cigars with Humidipac at that time. And he called me one day and I was hounding him like nobody's <laughs> business, man. I, I was all over him. And uh, he would see my number coming. He's like, oh man. So, but he actually called me and I about fell over when I saw on the car, caller ID that uh, Carlos Fuente Jr. was calling me and I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, hello. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I just got to tell you something. He goes, I just smoked uh, the Fuente Fuente Opus X that I had stored with, uh, with the Humidipac. And he goes, there was something about that cigar that was different. It was so good. It was so good, Tim. I wanted to eat it. He goes, I thought maybe I was a little bit crazy. He goes, but I asked, I gave, I gave a cigar to my dad on the other night and I said, you smoke this and tell me what you think. And he goes, man, that's really good. What'd you, what's different? What'd you do to it? And he goes, he goes, dad, I'm I stored him with the Humidipac. And that, from that point on, then Carlito was a complete believer. And, uh, the, you know, as we put that together with Fuente, it was really about, you know, capturing the perfect climate of, of Chateau de la Fuente down in the Dominican Republic. And Carlito had experienced, and I'm sure other cigar makers have too, is that when you were smoking that cigar in the Dominican Republic after it's been rolled and aged and it hasn't gone through that distribution channel, it tastes different. He would take that same cigar and smoke it in the United States a week later. And he's like, ah, something's off, something's different. Well, the humidity, you know, it had ex been exposed to without any control of humidity, it was exposed to the ambient environment and it had lost some of its uh, natural oils and flavor. Have you done that experiment ever in a store or with a manufacturer where you take one of their cigars and you take one that's not gone through the boveda, been humidified by boveda, and then one that has and said, this is the difference, and they go, wow, now I see. Because I think if you, you know, sometimes if you read it in a brochure or on a website, you probably understand, but you don't get it until you actually taste the difference like Carlito did. That seemed a bit... Have been the big light bulb moment, like, well, 
It does work. This is what they're yeah. talking about. Yeah, that, that was the aha moment for him. And what, we would also do a lot of water activity testing. What water activity testing is, it's, it's kind of like moisture content where most people would understand what that means. But we would, uh, we would take cigars that had gone through the distribution channel, uh, you know, a test with and without Bovida and then measure the moisture, uh, you know, the water activity as we call it, which is closer to the relative humidity, not the moisture content of like, you know, 13%. Uh, although they're somewhat related, but it's scientific. I'm, I won't get into the details of that. But the water activity, there was a difference. The ones shipped and stored with Bovida were dead on. They were, you know, right at 69% where they needed to be. The other ones either had either gone up because, remember, the Bovida has the ability to pull that excess moisture out. If they leave the dock too, too humid, it'll pull it in. Uh, and then in the reverse, if it's going through dry climates, it'll give off. So the Boveda expires, uses its livelihood in order to sacrifice for the cigars. So we did a, a lot of those tests and they were all uh, uh, just showed exactly that we did what we said we did. And then we would go off and randomly buy cigars at the, at the store that uh, through humidors. And you, we had a range of humidities in the same humidor at a store of different cigars that were anywhere from 40% relative humidity as high as 75. And it didn't matter, you know, it just, it was this, the, those cigars had come in and gone through such a, a, a rough process, an unfriendly shipping environment. And um, so, and that's kind of what we, that's what we bring to the can back to your original question. That's what we bring back into that. We build this monolayer around it, protects it so that the terpenes don't evaporate they are locked within the cannabis, and then that's where the you get the full bouquet of of what that uh, medicine, uh, at you know, for most cases is was intended to be. We keep mold out too, which is a really really big, big piece of that. We keep it under the mold threshold, and so from the safety and efficacy standpoint, um, in the medical side, it's it's very important. Yeah, and somebody just said that um, boba is a must-have in their humidor. Um, in Hawaii and it keeps, you know, the right RH levels. So there's a testimony, <laughs> testimonial right there um, in the middle of this interview. You know, what I like about Bovida too is that it's not just the little Bovida packs that you all do. You have, uh, you know, different products. Like my favorite is the humidor bag, like the big one, which I have right here. Like, <laughs> This is my this is my Davidoff one. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You can see some Perdomo, uh, Perdomo ones in there, and Davidoff. And during, def definitely during COVID times, I've been reorganizing all my cigars and uh, trying to get them sorted out. I've been going to Amazon, buying these the bags like that and the little packs, and I love it because there's no humidor big enough to keep right now all of these cigars that. I have and, and bring it in from the office uh, fresh. So I love that. And you also have like the Butler. Um, you have an awesome humidor period. It's like a acrylic one that's see-through. Mm -hmm. I really, so I like all these different things. I don't know if people know all of these different products. It's not just the little packs that you see. Um, you know, you've created a line of products that really are for the cigar lifestyle. Yeah, you know, and that's, it's evolved over time. You know, we, we never really, well, one time we tried to get into the humidor business and, and um, 
we had some success with it, but humidor making humidors and having them shipped from well, these were hand you know handmade in the Dominican Republic, which were really nice, all built uh, around bovida. So we had this floating tray, kind of like in our large acrylic humidor. You have that tray that comes out, and then the bovida sits underneath. So this humidor we built had bovida in the lid and underneath, and it was like. 360 just uh, cushioning of the right humidity around all of your cigars so you don't have to rotate them or worry that you know the the old one-way humidifiers with the up in the lid those cigars closest to that uh, device are going to suck up all the moisture well that's impossible with bovida what happens is those cigars closest might get to 69 percent but they stop and then it goes starts going to all the other ones so when we were you know encompassing everything bovida all around it. It was just a, a perfect match made in heaven. Uh, but again, you know, the acrylic humidors are, you know, um, a, a nice piece. I mean, they're a one year humidor. So it's for that person that might, you know, doesn't want to have to ever uh, tend to it or they have a second home or, a, uh, you know, a boat or a cabin or something where they want to just, they put them up there and they set it and forget it and, and uh, such. So yeah, we've kind of evolved with holders and um, our humidor bags, you know, this is uh, quite a different iteration from what it originally looked like, but the concept is identical. I mean, it is, it's a bag, you put a, uh, cigars in it, and, you know, this is a six-month to a one-year humidor right there. And all of that for $7, there's, there's not too many, even $3,000 humidors that will do a better job of storing your cigars than this $7 piece. And by the way, I'm supposed to be golfing so i'm at at, the, at a friend's country club that's where i'm sitting right now up, up in a like a little uh hut outdoor screen place it's awesome but so this is what i brought today to smoke some, my cigars on the golf course i know you get this question a lot from uh cigar smokers but you know what's the best bovida pack to get for their cigars well preferably for me it's 69 percent uh, so a lot of people ask, well, why are there four different relative humidities? Um, that's a very common question that we get. Well, it's, it's for several reasons. It is for personal preference, might be the climate that you live in, or it might be how crappy is your humidor or how good is your humidor. So um, for me, you know, uh, and then what type of cigars do you smoke? I mean, that, that's a big one, uh, part of that too. So certain cigars can accept moisture differently. We've done a lot of tests with, uh, with uh, a lot of the makers, certainly with Fuente and uh, even the CAO back in the day. And, and um, uh, gosh, you, I could, you know, EPC, all these guys, Rocky, we've, we've done moisture tests with all of these guys. Um, and I can give you one example. So take uh, the, the Opus X very thick oily wrapper that is ideal at 65 percent relative humidity because if you get it into the 69 or even 72 you'll start to see at 72 mold can start to grow on that because it's so oily i mean it, it just sucks up the moisture and and again that's why carlito was like i'm more interested in pulling out moisture most of the time because you know his opuses are so oily than i am adding it but if you take a camera you take a don carlos that can sit in 72% all day long. And it's ideal because it's such a thin, fragile wrapper. Uh, you take a Maduro, a Maduro can be 69 or 65 because it's so thick and oily. It just hygroscopic, it, it absorbs that moisture a lot more than a, say a Cameroon or even a Connecticut shade. 
you know, a lot of people in Cubans love 65 or even lower, you know, that might be a European uh, concept for that for them. But um, so for me, 69% is, is ideal. My Ellie blue humidors, um, I have 60, 65. And then I have a couple of China made humidors that were you know, made by a manufacturer is kind of one of their gift boxes, not really a high end. And I have to use 72s or 75s in the wintertime, especially in Minnesota, just to keep it at 69% because they, they leak so much moisture. You need a 72 or 75 to kind of resupply it to stay at that number. And here's a question you maybe you don't get as a lot of, but to get the most out of your Boveda hack and, and, uh, the effects of it, you have to keep the cellophane on or take it off? Um, it does not matter. What cellophane does do, it slows down the rate of moisture gain or loss. It's not a perfect seal. So um, if you, uh, I usually keep the cellophane on because when I put them in humidor bags and I travel with them, it protects the wrapper. For me, it's more of a protection mechanism than it is a, whether it allows it in or not in or out or not. Um, I will say that when, you know, in, in one of my Ellie blue humidors, unsellowed cigars, I think have a great uh, cedar flavor to them um, after they've been in there for a long time. I do think that that does impart this, you know, Spanish cedar imparts a nice flavor to it. But um, cellophane is just an inhibitor, uh, slows it down. That's it. Doesn't stop it. One of the things that I like about Bobit as well is that you know, you made this product and to market it, um, I mean, you could do your usual print ads that you've done, you could do web banners, but you also create content to promote either the cannabis stuff or the cigar stuff. And I know Rob, you know, he's great at doing these interviews with these different cigar people, um, the same from, like, on the cannabis side. So what's that been like creating? Because that's a completely different... <laughs> different mode of marketing, getting into that mentality of how do you create content? How do you market something um, outside of the normal? And I think uh, you're very much ahead of your time because that kind of marketing now is the COVID, um, you know, interviews and stuff like this is, is now common, but you were doing it long before then. So what's the yeah. process been like? It's been a great process. It was a wonderful learning experience. And it was not like we sat in our boardroom and said, here's what we're going to do. It grew organically. Rob has just a natural talent. He had a desire and a love to try and do something like that. And uh, we were like, yeah, let's go for it. Let's, let's do it and see what it, see what it turns out to be. And, and he's just become a, a, just a true natural at it. But the dude, he loves cigars. Uh, you think Sean and I like cigars. Uh, you know, I think Rob wakes up with one in his mouth every morning. <laughs> right, Rob? I don't know if you're listening or not. But uh, uh, it, but it's been a really neat evolution because, it, as you said, it was a little bit before the time, but everybody's kind of gone to that, you know, content. What do they say? Content is king, you know, in a sense where um, we it just kind of organically grew for us out of a love and a passion. But we had a really good uh, vehicle to do it because – we work with the cigar makers and who tells a better story than the cigar maker themselves. I mean, that's why you have everybody on. I mean, you want those people because the consumers love to hear their story and what are they like and what do they smoke and what's their preference and how'd they do it. And uh, so um, 
you know, and, and Rob's done a good job of highlighting our Cigar of the Month customers, uh, anybody influential in the industry, even, you know, newcomers like, uh, um, uh, not John Sally, but uh, oh, who's the other basketball player? Why can't I think of his name? Uh, Carl Malone, you know, and, and having interviews with, uh, with guys like that. And, uh, but it's been joyous on our side because we've gotten to, to know these guys um, even better through that process. And um, I think they, they enjoy it too. So, you know, we've tried to take that um, in trying to be um, good stewards of what we have in the industry. It's fun to tell those stories and to be a part of them and to, you know, we always say, Boulder, we're not the star of the show. We're just, a, we're an accessory in there, but we've um, uh, been able to work with some of the greats and to be able to share their stories has, has been a fun, um, fun and rewarding um, experience for us. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, what I like about Vox Press was just your podcast that you do with the different cigar makers is like you said, it's, it's, most of them are just solely focused on the person you're interviewing. So it's not like a sales pitch. It's not, you know, people don't get that icky feeling that you're trying to push something on them. It's really focused on here's somebody who probably uses our product, but get to know them. And I think there's a lot of value in that because I don't know me as a consumer, um, you know, I don't care about ratings as much <laughs> and I don't understand them because I just look at them and, I don't know what a 91 or 93 means. So um, I want to know who that person is. And I think Fox Press does a really good job at focusing on let's find out who this person is. And then to me, that creates a much better connection between you and that person. And then it, it pushes you to want to buy that product. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it was never designed to be uh, let's sell Bovida. <clears throat> it was designed to highlight our people that we work with. And like I said, tell their story and, and everybody's got a great story. I mean, everybody's got an interesting story and um, those um, really uh, become uh, alive. They, it humanizes the individuals, whether it be John Huber, Pete uh, Johnson, uh, you know, the folks from Davidoff, uh, Kloss and, you know, all these, you know, these, these people that are behind the scenes, you don't really get uh, a lot of time with them. And uh, it, it does humanize them quite a bit. I know for you, like, how does it feel now that you've been in this business so long and Boba does have the success that it has to like walk into uh, like Tobacco Lair Derek Garcia and see Boba the stickers being, you know, Boba the stickers, Boba the packs being put into each box. Cause I remember Pro Cigar, not this year, but last year, um, I think we were all on the, in the same group or our groups were like right next to each other. And I know you all were like going around trying to check and say, we said, we want to see our stuff getting put into the boxes and, you know, standing there and watching it be done. And here you are in a completely different continent, different area. And to see all that, those years of work going to, you know, here you are. So how does that feel just as an entrepreneur in business? Well, you can see the smile on my face. Uh, <laughs> it's really cool. You know, it, you have to, you know, for us, it's, uh, it, it's satisfying because of all the hard work. I mean, this is our 23rd year in business. Hard to believe. 
I'm one of the old guys now, you know, it's, and I look in the screen, I'm like, holy cow, do I look old? Um, you know, I don't think I, I still feel like I'm 25 years old and uh, most days anyway, but anyway, I think I'm 25 years old. And, um, but it's really neat because, you know, Sean and I, uh, when we first started working with some of the great cigar people, you know, Tabacalera, De Garcia, and meeting those people and working with Carlito and Lito Gomez and, and uh, you know, I could go down the list, uh, Hochi Blanco. It's like, wow, we're actually at the table with these folks. We are an important piece to the industry and it's very satisfying. It's fun. I mean, yeah, you go into the, I mean, I take pictures like I'm a kid in a candy store. I'm like, and I send them to my wife and I'm like, hey, check this out. Here I am in the Dominican Republic and they're putting Boveda in there. And um, <clears throat> it's pretty satisfying. One, uh, a quick story for you too. We were, uh, this was many, many years ago. This was probably in the, uh, maybe even 98, 99. So we weren't even, no, I'm sorry. Would have been 2001 or two. So we had uh, just done our deal with uh, Fuente and we were making the humidor bags and it has, you know, Carlos Sr. and Jr. on it. You've seen those. We still make that for him. Sean and I were walking in New York City. First time I've ever been to New York City. We're like, hey, let's go down to Little Italy. Let's go eat somewhere down there. Walking down the streets. And if you've ever been on those streets, they're busy. There's a ton of people walking. And we see this dude running. All of a sudden coming out of the crowd and he's running and he's got his arms full of humidor bags, the Fuente humidor bags. <laughs> and he just comes running right by us. And Sean and I turned around, we were like, are you, are you kidding me? Did we just see that? Did that just <laughs> really happen? And, um, you know, and it kind of hits you where you're like, wow, it's reality. Our, our product and what we do is, is, uh, is truly making an impact in, into the marketplace. But it, it's, it's fun. You know, we're, we're, just a couple of normal people from Minnesota that had a great opportunity. We're so blessed and uh, we're just trying to do everything that we can to, to, to build it right and, and uh, be good people with it. I mean, where do you see yourself taking Bo Vita from here? I mean, you, you've been in the game 23 years. So what does the next 23 you look like? Well, there's no uh, letting off the gas pedal. Uh, we are as motivated now Today, as we were back in, um, in 97, 98, when we were starting it, we, uh, <clears throat> we have really aggressive growth plans for our company to double, triple our size. And uh, that can happen. I mean, we're, we're still, even after 23 years, we have tremendous growth in the, in the cigar business. Uh, we, you know, even though uh, we're considered that, you know, we have large market share and everybody knows us, not everybody knows us. There's still a lot of room out there and that's our goal is to get it all. And the same thing in, a, in the other industries, the music industry, there's a ton of growth there. The cannabis, ton of growth globally as that starts to grow and emerge. And, and we just have a, we have a very special technology that does a very good job for a very important reason. And um, we're just, uh, we're, like I said, we're blessed. We're, we're, just trying to be really good stewards with what we have and, and, uh, and uh, keep growing our company. So this is one of my favorite Oprah questions, but what have you learned about yourself since you started this business? Um, that I like cigars. <laughs> I, <laughs> I truly love cigars. Let's see. What have I learned about myself? I think, you know, I think, um, 
you know, professionally, um, <clears throat> over those 23 years, grown and learned a lot, uh, learned a lot about um, leadership in, in, in that standpoint. Um, my desire and capacity to want to keep uh, learning and wanting to be a part of uh, growing is probably, you know, when you were younger in school, some people love school. I didn't particularly like school. I didn't really love to read that much. Uh, I had to work hard at it uh, to get decent grades, but I did work hard at it. I, I always had a good work ethic, but um, I think as the older I've gotten, the more I've desired to, to learn more and to be, um, you know, uh, a little bit more disciplined about reading certain things and learning things that I don't know. So the other thing I have really learned too is that uh, we don't know everything and that's okay. That's, that's okay. I try and teach my kids this too. It's like, it's okay to ask for help. Even I have to ask for help on certain things. That's why we get sales coaches and we get business coaches and we get mentors uh, because we can continually uh, keep learning. So so as we approach the end, I always like to give people enough time to do the, the uh, drop of all the social media stuff. So for people who want to know, learn more about Bovida, all his products, um, follow you all on online, what are all the little different handles and websites they need to know? Well, we are everywhere. So you've got uh, bovidainc.com. You've got uh, Bovida. Uh, what is our Bovida Inc. on Instagram? There's to Bovida Tobacco. There's Bovida Cannabis uh, or Herbal. Is it cannabis now? Now it's cannabis. Bovida Music. Uh, we are on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, we are everywhere. And I'm sure if Rob's on here, he could probably list off all of the uh, all the handles that we have. But uh, YouTube. Uh, you know, Rob's doing YouTube videos all the time. Um, so we try and maximize all of the uh, all the media outlets that we can. And like you said earlier, I think people kind of think, you know, they know all that they need to know about Bovida or that Bovida's completely penetrated the cigar industry. So it's fun to kind of see how you all are figuring out ways to get even deeper into the industry. Because I think if you're like me, you it takes a, a thing like coronavirus to make to kind of sit back and think like, hmm, maybe I can do a little bit more uh, and get out there a little bit more. And, and maybe everybody doesn't know our story. So I know people have said that they really enjoyed learning more about you through this. So um, I think I'm interested in, and excited to see what new things you all are going to get into. Like I said, especially in the cigar space. Since that's my main nine to five. <laughs> yeah. Um, and focus these days. So well, let's, you know, uh, I want everybody to realize out there that we are uh, cigar lovers. We are passionate about it. And, um, you know, we, we understand the challenges of storing and aging cigars at home. And that's kind of where this whole thing birthed from and how we, uh, how we got into that. And uh, so truly know that uh, as we do things, we're doing it from our, our passion of our heart versus just a, uh, you know, some marketing, you know, uh, department within the company that's saying, oh, let's do this. It's coming from from us as, as smokers, but also from us really learning and listening to customers out there on how do we make their lives easier? And that's what we want to continue to uh, to strive for. 
And for the final question, it'll be a, a leisurely kind of question. Um, your friend Ben wants to know, what is your <laughs> handicap as a golfer and what cigar will you be smoking this weekend? That's a really good question. So I'm not a great golfer. I'm probably in a 20, 20, 21 handicap. Um, I don't get to play enough to uh, get that down. I think I could be a little bit better. I could be better than that. But uh, uh, so I'm not uh, I'm not a great golfer. Uh, I can hit the ball and uh, I, I don't embarrass myself too many, too many times. Uh, but so and then what I'm going to be smoking this weekend. Well, right now I'm smoking a Padron. 4,000. I've got a Padron 6,000. I've got a Monte Cristo in there. I've got a really, really old cigar that's unbanded. I'm not exactly sure what that is. Uh, and, uh, but I typically, I try and, you know, I, I smoke a lot of different cigars uh, from all the different makers, but, you know, I have, a, right now I have a pretty good supply of Tatuaje, Padron, and, um, and Fuente, uh, a lot of uh, Altadas products. So, uh, but right now I'm smoking a Padron. This I love this uh, this cigar on the golf course because it's big and hearty, you know, uh, durable enough to take any wind, and I like the flavor. And it's not overly expensive. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Like I said, thank you for taking the time out of your day to speak to me, and uh, I look forward to our next encounter. Yeah, well, whenever thank that you. is. <laughs> Yeah, whenever that is, it's, this is great. So I, you know, really appreciate you having me on here. This is fun to, to just kind of chat informally and, and um, you know, we get to humanize Bovina for other people. And, and um, that's cool. But you guys do a great job. Thank you. Really Thank do you. appreciate it. You guys have been really, really good to Bovina and, and trying to tell our story and, and giving us opportunities to, to talk about how to make the industry better. So. Well, thank you. And like I said, uh, look forward to continuing our working relationship and uh, see you around uh, like yeah. said, whenever COVID lets up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, hopefully, you know, maybe TPE will, uh, will happen. Let's, let's hope it does. And then what is Ben's handicap? That's my last question. <laughs> I don't think he, he'll share that. I don't think he's he he you, throwing some money down on Is he trying to... <laughs> juice me into a game or something i think he's mysteriously already pieced out for this okay for your question so i'll send him a text <laughs> <laughs> well thank you again and have a great weekend and uh look forward to continuing the follow the boba story great well thank you everybody have a great weekend awesome thank you all right take care you too